Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Uh, I'm back with Thomas Hewley. Uh, he is uh, the, well, his latest book is, uh, he said, the human one. <laughs> I'm going to up my printout because I'm, I'm very privileged to have a, a PDF oh. version. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's, this is how it looks in, in Oh, Germany. you see, yeah, here we go. We've got, Thomas has got the, uh, the proper book, Human Business, um, with, with the subtitle, How to Rediscover Our Human Being to Shape Our Future. Um, so that's, uh, in fact, I love this subtitle, How to Rediscover Our Human Being to Shape Our Future. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit, Thomas, about uh, well, a little bit about your background, I suppose, for people who are not familiar with you, um, uh, and then we'll and then we'll get into the book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm a, actually I call myself a human business architect. Um, that is like my my motivation is really to help businesses to become more human, um, and this way thrive in the digital age. Uh, my background is um, well, I'm an economist. I've been working in uh, as an agile coach for many years, organizational development in various industries. And, and at present, I'm working as um, a human business architect and agile transformation coach for the uh, for Allianz, the insurance corporation. Right, right. Um, and we should also say you're also a ski instructor. I'm a ski and snowboard instructor. Uh, yes, um, yes. Who knows what else? You, you're sort of this, you know, almost like a Renaissance man somehow. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's your background. So economist turned a coach. And uh, and now we've, well, this is your, you know, this is not your first time writing around these subjects. Um, but what's, well, what's at the core of, what's the core, what's the core message, I suppose, of this, of this book? Well, I think the, the subtitle says it all. And it's about if we, I mean, quite a few people, they are, um, how should I say, overwhelmed by, by the many changes we experience in the digital age. Uh, you know, the so-called VUCA world, you know, volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And um, more technology is basic. It seems, it's technology seems to take over our world. And I think this is scary. Um, because, and as long as we treat ourselves and treat our peers as human resources. And when I was starting to work on the book, I thought, like, what does it take to be human in the digital age? It was, this was actually the first working title of, of the manuscript. So I, I delved into it, and, and it's like, um, it was kind of like a therapy. You know, where do I start? You know, um, how can I rediscover my inner core? And uh, there was like a discrepancy with how we work these days or we used to work and how we are you know how we are really what's our true nature and i thought like let's discover rediscover this and see how we can how i how i can unfold it and it's still a journey um people say well i, I would be an expert uh, no i mean um you know i have um some way to carry with me because over all these decades you know i'm, I'm becoming more human I, I pretend or i'm trying to become more human and this way make um help shape a more human environment right okay and what well what have you what have you discovered so far about yourself your core in this in this journey um actually i've been working i've been functioning quite well let's put it this way okay um yeah i think i have been a very effective and very successful human resource at work you know okay you can tell this okay i had a, I had a good good career 
um, you know, project management, program management, agile, you name it, and, and various industries and, and management and, and leadership roles. But when you come, when in the, let's say when you have family and then your kids don't don't care about all of this. No, they care, they look at you at the, at the at the core. You know they want to be around because you are a human being. And it's like in, in the book, there is a chapter: uh, boys don't cry, yeah, men I do. That one, yeah. And um, I talked with um, his name was Jay, his, his Jay Goldstein, another agile coach in the U.S. And he brought this up, and, I, and we talked about you know how we actually hide our emotions, especially guys, you know. And emotions are very human. I mean, this is like, we're kind of, we're made up of emotions, you can say, or you know, also thoughts. And, and why do we hide these? And why do, we have, why do social norms make us believe that showing emotions, being showing your vulnerability, being human is a bad thing? Well, if you look back in the, to the 19th century with uh, Taylorism, it's like where they say like, okay, um, Let's model everything like a big machine and everything has to be very efficient. And then we have resources, also human resources. They're kind of like objects. Back then, they were, people were not educated. They were not trained. They were not highly skilled. That changed in the meantime. And so this Tayloristic world worked for quite a long time where we could plan things like a machine, engineering. And now in the VUCA world, all of a sudden, we, we are confronted with problems which are, let's say, wicked which are complex. And all of a sudden, this, this model um, comes to, to a limit. And what do we do next? Can we plan the next five years? Yeah, it's really funny. How do we know what in five years will be? I mean, how many additional lockdowns will we experience? How many new pandemics will we experience? You know, you, we don't know. So what is it? What's our compass? If we cannot find the compass in, say, technology or in the old models, where do we start? And in the book I'm explaining, it's actually start with ourselves because more or less all the orientation we thrive is inside of us. We just have to unlock it. Right, right. And then it sounds like part of what you're discovering is your emotional core. Would that be right? Yeah. Well, the, the other thing is like um, well, reframing. It's like when, when we have when kids are when three, four years, five years old, their favorite question is like, Why? And they constantly ask why. They're very curious. And as soon as they, and we, we, we of course, we play along with this game uh, until we were sick and tired of it and say, God, whatever, because it is, because it is, because, <laughs> right. you know, period, yeah. end, end of story. Don't ask so many questions. Well, it's kind of like we, we block the natural uh, curiosity, the, uh, the natural inquisitiveness and uh, creativity, you can say, asking questions, trying to find out how do things work? Why, why do they happen a certain way? And what do I do if, if I don't get to find the answers? Where do I go? And it starts with, with um, say, say, well, sometimes kindergarten or elementary school, we, we are, I say, we unlearn this um, curiosity, you can say, you know? And uh, I think that when you, for example, when you watch kids, younger kids play, they're kind of like, they're totally present. They're the here and the now. And they, they don't worry about the future. They're just a here and the now. It's like, and this, this present is, there are no limits. Okay. And they get so much out of it. And when this is the stage where we can learn the most, this is the stage where we can explore and find out the most. And unfortunately, most of us have unlearned this skill. 
Yeah. You know? Right. And so do you see that that being part of your rediscovering of your human being is is re- re- relearning that curiosity, that playfulness? Um, yeah, sometimes I'm still taking myself too serious. <laughs> and, um, but sometimes I thought, okay, well, I can be concerned about quite a few things, but let's, let's do an actual reframing. And I'd like to give you an example of a, of a reframing. You can ask on a meta level, what will the future bring? How, how will the future look like with all the technology and what have you? Or we can ask, how do we want to live? Basically, right. the same question, but the first question is passive because we are reacting. And the second question, how do we want to live, is an active question. So we are in the driver's seat. How do we want to shape our future? Now, if we want to answer this very simple question, we first have to know what we really want. And this mm. is the tricky part for some people. Okay. So, um, or we can say, that, okay, there's a crisis, let's say with Corona. Okay, how can it be a chance? What other, what new opportunities arise because of the lockdowns? What can I do differently? Um, and you know, just asking these, these reframing these questions can can open new horizons. You know, new new spaces. You can say, and um, it's very simple. It can be done playful, and it's more innovative. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of questions that kids ask very naturally, right? Absolutely. Oh, Daddy said we can't do this. What can we do now instead? Like yeah, my kids are exactly. always coming up with creative ways around <laughs> like, boundary I put here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we are not, let's face it, we should not, we, we're not victims of the digital transformation. Actually, we started it, okay? Now, the thing is, on the one hand, we want to promote, you know, technology and it's more getting more sophisticated with ai and you name it and at the same time we're losing orientation of what we what we truly want and where we want to go so it's kind of like an, a contradiction it's an oxymoron you can say but we lose the perspectives so that's i think it's very dangerous because like um this way if we're not careful we become actually victims of the machines we create. And then you see all the movies and what have you, it's like with AI and the taking over the world and who are we? And okay, if you and me, if we think we are human resources, we have to compete with other resources such as computers. Uh, and 10 years or so, maybe in five years, they, they are so advanced, I'm not sure if I can uh, compete with a computer, you know? Um, if, if, since I'm a resource, but I'm a human being, so there is much more. A computer cannot, will not ever be able to replicate. That's, for example, uh, creativity, intuition, uh, emotions, what have you. Right. Yeah, it's almost as if, you know, we have to, the two things going on at once, right? There's, there is this digitization of, our, of society and of our environment. And simultaneously, there's a pull away from that, because of the risks of us becoming somehow uh, subsumed into this digital world in which we lose that specialness of, of what makes us human, right? Exactly. And so, exactly. And so we, 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 I think this is what your book is talking to. It's like there's this, it's almost, as, it's almost as fast as our environment becomes more digitized, we have to just as quickly and ably 
regain our humanity, our sense of self, what it is that we want from this society. We have to keep asking that question. And perhaps we have to ask it even more frequently because it's changing so much. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's... Uh, uh, that makes a lot of sense, and 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 there's a there's a diagram towards the end of the book where you lay out these these three levels of um, uh, I suppose consciousness when it comes to organising ourselves. Um, uh, the first is intimidation, uh, using power tools like coercion and so on, and there's information, um, you know, using management tools and KPIs and everything we understand about information-based management system. And then there's inspiration, which requires leadership. And of course, doesn't require any tech, digital technology. And that, that really resonated with me. We want to get to this space where as leaders, we're seeking to inspire others. We're seeking to enable others to find the inspiration within themselves. And that's, that's where we want to be. And then we are only using informational tools, digital tools in a way to enable that. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, uh, okay, let's compare us to a uh, um, Formula One racing car or to a Ferrari or what have you, a Mercedes, okay? It's, it's very sophisticated. It's, very, it's, it's fancy. It's great. But we don't have any gas. We don't use gas. Or we pull the, the, the handbrake and we only go, let's say, 30 miles an hour, even though we can go 100, 120 miles. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like, we, we, we don't. There's a limit. We don't want to use everything, all the potential we have. It's it's silly. It's 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 plain stupid. You know, we can say, and it's like if I mean, it's kind of like when you have all the capacity, why not use it? Why not explore it for your own well being? And you know, in, in the book, also criticized the, the, this theory, a vile theory of val, uh, shareholder value. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, Steve Denning, uh, he he talks a lot about it and. It's, it's bullshit, basically. It's the dumbest idea in the world and um, has been because it doesn't generate any value. And human business is about, basically, it's about value generation for and by people. Okay. Right. So in, yeah. in human business, we create a space. I call it this a human or creative space um, that helps um, how should I say, develop or evolve into a happy workplace? Because this is like a space or place where we can unfold our potential. And we're not machines, we're not resources, we're human beings. This does not mean that we have to throw out everything which we have done in the past with, with tools and templates and processes. No. But the perspective, the attitude, um, the outlook is completely different. It's not about say, um, producing new goods and services. It's actually about, okay, why are we doing this? What's the value behind it? What's the benefit? Uh, you know, share a story, come up with a story. And it's not about shareholders. You know, they, they get their share, no doubt, you know. But this, isn't, this does not create or generate any value. I mean, this is like, you know, where uh, things change. And this is, I think, why, you know, human business is very, very different from traditional business. Right. Well, it's maybe worth unpacking that a bit. So, so shareholder value is bullshit, and it doesn't create yeah. any share, and, and it doesn't create any value. Okay, so just yeah. <laughs> expand on that a bit. But for those who are <laughs> well, still wedded to that, model. yeah. Well, um, well, the question is like, okay, the I mean, who? Are, let's say shareholder 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 value is important. Okay, um, let's talk about stakeholders. 
because like the uh, Klaus Schwab, he talks about stakeholder capitalism and you know, this is the new thing. Actually, it's not very new uh, because they talked about the 1920s and 1930s about it and it was too complex. And then uh, Milton Friedman came along and say, well, it's all about shareholder value. It's like, you know, and then we got indoctrinated and, and lost our creativity. Okay, let's say stakeholder capitalism it is, as the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab says, or pretends or claims. Okay, who are the most important stakeholders? Definitely not the shareholders. But the most important stakeholders would actually be our customers, even though actually customers are not stakeholders by definition. But say, okay, the customers. Then who is the second most important stakeholder? It's us, the employee. And mm. then we have basically the society, you know, where it, it's in the, where the company is, is functioning in and, um, and the community and the, and the company and shareholder come last because if we focus on the first stakeholders, shareholders will eventually be most happy because they get the, the most best share, but it's a result. It's not a goal. Yeah. So the question is like, okay, what is our driver? Is it the company or is it actually the customer or is it the, the human being? Um, and I'm saying it has to be people. It has to be the human being. And this way it forces us to, to, to widen our horizon. Right. But isn't the problem with putting customers first, you know, something like we see in Amazon, right, where we've got these stories of, you know, the drivers having to pee in bottles because, you know, they've, they've made the customer king and now or queen and now we have to race to get the, the parcel on time and, you know, to the detriment um, of our employees' well-being. Uh, that's a good point. I know that um, quite a few people say, well, you look at very innovative companies such as uh, Amazon, Apple, and, and uh, Google. Uh, they put customers first. Yes, especially in the agile world. You know, this, this, this is what we see. I'm saying it's not, it's not enough. It's not sufficient because uh, what happens to the employees? I mean, that's one thing. And if you look at Amazon, Apple, uh, and Google, uh, what is their share to community, to society? When they try to evade taxes, you know, this is like basically the community, the society gives them a lot. What do they give back? Is it just money? No, no, no. It's like, like you know, they have to pay their fair share. Um, and this is actually win-win. It's not that they, you know, say reduce profits. Eventually they get it back because, you know, more stable in a society, more stable environment. It, it helps them too. But it's this kind of like, I, I call it myopic view of, of, pure agile companies um, they have transformed they have made some progress but they are not where they could be um, in my book i have the um, metaphor the, the image of a metamorphosis metamorphosis of the caterpillar turning into butterfly whereas the caterpillar is like the traditional business you know focusing on profits on the company then you have the cocoon uh, which is an agile company focusing on the customer. And then the butterfly unfolding the huge all the potential that's a human business focusing on us, the people. Because you can also ask the question, what's the business of business? You know, mm. you can ask a, a traditional company would say it's profits, okay? Or it's shareholder, what have you. And, you know, what's the business of business for an agile, custom, for an agile co company would be maybe customer. Peter Drucker would say this. So it's about, all about generating customer. Fine. And I'm saying the business of business is people. It's us. It's, it's hu human. 
Okay, why would you start in a business in the first place? Well, we need to have start a business. Yes, why? Because we have to earn a living. Okay, fine. What is it for? It's about us. It's about people. So we can bring this in. It's much stronger. It's more flexible. It's uh, more sustainable. Right. And when you say it's about people, but you know that itself, I suppose, it, in what regard? Like, is it to, to extend your metaphor? Is it is it something about people unfolding? Is it something about people? realizing their potential like what in regard what in regard to people um well it's that's a tough question um when i'm saying it's about people it's like we have to ask like why do we start it's basically starting with why simon sinek talks about it we have to what's the purpose of doing business and is it something where there's an overlap with what we do individually as well as in the team um, in, in, in the book, I talk about the uh, model, MVP model, not minimal viable product, but motivation, vision, and practice. So we have to understand, we want to understand, what's the purpose of a company? What are the goals? What are the vision? Okay, let's say this is a circle. Then we have, can ask, okay, what's our personal purpose? What's our vision? What are our goals? If there's an overlap with the MVP of the, of the company, that's good, because then we can identify with the company. Um, it's more joyful. It's like, it's, it's part of us. And then we have the team or the community of, of employees, okay? They too have a purpose. When all these three MVPs together and there's an overlap, I mean, that's a very strong community. This is in, in, in a project, at a project level, it's a wow project, you know, that's like, it doesn't feel like work. It's like it's a flow. It's like leaves the legend and it's, it makes a difference. This is like, you know, the overlap of this MVP uh, model. Um, if, there, if it's just a job, this is fine. It's absolutely legitimate. I go there from eight to four o'clock and I, I earn a living fine, you know, and then what have you. Fine. But it, my heart is not in it. But if my heart is in it, you know, it's, I care. You know, you had uh, Richard Sheridan on your show a couple of uh, months ago, and he talks about how Menlo Innovations uses joy as a business driver. You know, yeah. joy, trust, and respect, where people feel part of being a team, being part of something bigger. And uh, the quality is better, the delivery is better, productivity is better, and it's, it's more than a job. Okay. And this can be replicated very easily. But it starts also at the top, you know, and this is like where I guess you can say the rubber uh, hits road, you miss road, you know, it's like, how authentic are we? And fortunately, I see there are more and more companies who understand this. Uh, quite a few of those companies are listed in uh, the book, The Healing Organization. Um, I talk about Menlo Innovations. I talk about uh, quite a few examples of the German Mittelstand. Uh, you know, small and medium enterprises, um, and there still there's a growing number of of, uh, of our businesses, also social businesses, that understand this new paradigm. You can say, yeah, I think so, uh, and I love that idea of joy as an organizing principle because one of the indicators we have in our bodies and in our emotional systems, if we're on track, right, and if we're doing something that's purposeful and is serving the the, the society and is in line with who we are at our core is we start to experience joy, right? And exactly. so using that as an organizing principle, 
for our business to me resonates, right? Because putting, let's say, put customers first, for example. Well, okay. Now it may possibly cause them some joy over that, but it's not, I, I don't really, that doesn't, just because I put the customer first doesn't really tell me if I'm on track in terms of doing what is best aligned with my purpose on the planet or, or however you want to frame it. Exactly, exactly. Um, whereas if I'm checking in with people and asking, you know, using that as a yardstick, right, how, how what's my joy quotient in the organization, it gives me a very different orientation. Well, you know, some, some the listeners may say, okay, how can how can you uh, what can you start? Where can, how can you implement it? And um, in, uh, in in the dailies I have, in the sync meetings I have every morning with my with my teammates, we ask the three questions. You know, which are um, use also in agile. It's like, what have you? What have I accomplished yesterday? What's my plan today? And where do you need help? And where do you see any issues? We actually started. We start with a different question. We ask. What are we grateful for? And or what will make me happy today? Mm. It could be anything. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be related to work. It could be anything. And then we track these, I say, happy elements, just like any other task. So after a while, we have this happy happiness wall. Okay. And so you get an idea of, okay, all these factors, they contribute to a happy work environment Let's see how we can build this in. Okay. Yeah. Besides this very question, what are you grateful for? How do you feel? What makes you happy today? It allows us to bring in the human being. It allows us to bring in us. It's not uh, just work. It's part of us. And it could be that, say, a teammate says, like, you know what? I'm not grateful. I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm happy when, if I can sleep next, next night. It's like, Why? I, I couldn't sleep. I, I have a you know a stomach ache, or you know my kid you know was sick and stuff. Okay, fine. That's important for me to know if I say if I were a project manager, because I have to be careful what you know things that person's what tasks this person will work on. Or if I decide, you know what, go home, you know sleep. I just want you to be healthy because if you're sick and you cannot come to work for a week, it doesn't help us. Yeah. So bring in the human element. You know, a daily work. And it doesn't, you can say it doesn't weigh anything. It doesn't really cost anything, starting with this very simple question. Yeah. As well as, as well as gratitude. And I remember you sharing that from your, you know, in the last podcast, you talked about the joy wall, joy, joy yes. wall that you would create and you get a yes. sense over time of like exactly what was making the team happy. But this gratitude question is also interesting. Like, and you talk about that in the, in the, in the latest book, Human Business, but what's, uh, yeah, what's the why? Why that question? Why that question? Um, because um, when we ask what we are grateful for, it it um, goes beyond all perspectives. It's basically it's a kind of combination of past, present, and future. What are we grateful for? It it kind of it almost forces you to be more present, be more in the here and now. And when you're grateful for something, it actually brings in joy or you, you can actually rediscover joy within. Mm. Because like when you're grateful for something, it could be something happening outside. Okay, this could only be a trigger because what it, a trigger for something, what you feel inside. So when we realize that joy is actually within, it, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, 
couple of weeks ago when I started Allianz, you know, I was overwhelmed by some of all the meetings. Um, my, my schedule was full. And I was like, well, wonderful. And I thought, okay. I asked the question, how can this full schedule help me to become calm? <laughs> great, great. That's a reframing. And um, it's kind of the black swan. And I, I, there's a blog post about it. And I, I told my wife, and so this is the question I want to I'm asking right now. And she says, like, she replied, okay, let me know when you have the answer. Because I'm curious. And I was like, I have no idea. And I, I was pondering about it. And I thought, like, what is it? I mean, actually, first of all, just asking, reframing the question, mm-hmm. basically, you know, how can it help me? This was a great help. And I found out, okay, the calmness or, you know, the peace I, I'm looking for, it's actually, it's not out there. It's, again, starting with me. Okay, it, it's always there. I just like, it's kind of like uh, all the clutter with all the meetings, all the things, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I have, I want to do um, or I react. Um, I cannot see this, this, this inner peace, the inner calm anymore. So it actually starts with me. Now, um, the moment I realized this, you know, it made, made things easier and it was more and more playful and uh, less serious, you can say. And some of the meetings uh, at the Allianz Nation, there are also quite, other, quite a lot of other companies like, like LinkedIn. They start every meeting with a mindful moment of one minute of silence and say, well, we want to give you the chance to arrive. You know, one minute of silence. So you can either think about, you want to think about the last meeting or you just want to be listen to your, uh, be, being, become aware of your breathing or just try to arrive. And, and it's very simple. Can make a huge difference. Every time I ask this question, it's kind of like going out on a limb because I don't know how people react. And I think, stupid. Not a single time anyone complained about it and saying, well, this is stupid. This is esoteric or anything. Never. They either say, well, it's pretty cool or that it's anything. But it creates or changes the atmosphere and becomes more open and and more creative, you can say. And um, so, yeah, the black swan uh, for, you know, um, funny calm in, in lots of meetings it's actually within us. Right. And when, yeah, and when you say black, what's swan, just explain that for people who, you know, well, black swan is like, the question is like, can there be black swans? And people, uh, there's uh, people say, no, there cannot be black swan because it's very seldom. It's like, um, you don't see black swans. Actually, there are black swans, but they're very, very seldom. And you just have to look for it and maybe you overlook them, but yeah, they're there. They happen. It's kind of, um, um, we just have to open our senses, become right. more. And so this is kind of like a, a seeming, it seems to be a contradiction. There cannot be something like a black swan. They cannot be calm in lots and lots of meetings because it's all hectic and stress. Actually, yes, it starts with us. If we shift our and perception, yeah. Yes. So on, on my blog, there's this article on the, you know, just search for black swan and you can, um, can read about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. It reminds me of a, a Shashin Shah who we had on the show at his company. He uh, he takes it even a step further. And every hour, they have like three minute silent meditation in the office. Yes. In the office, um, yeah, it's a similar similar uh, concept. No, I like that. So, and you found yourself. Do you now have more calm? <laughs> with your full uh, schedule? Yes, yes, I do. I mean, sometimes there are so weeks which are hectic. 
And, um, but whenever I remind myself, okay, I have to start with myself um, and the strength and the joy or the energies within me, um, it, it, it's easier. Um, also, it's like it helped me to be more, to say, more mindful or more cautious about accepting certain meetings and um, being more disciplined, you can say. But as soon as I know or find out that my energy is draining, it's just going down down the hill. I either pause or just like um, cancel out. It's like it's like forget I'm done for the day because you know I have to do something different. Um, And another thing is like um, before the week starts or the you know uh, a new month, I just block certain time slots where I don't accept any meetings. Uh, I don't usually accept any meetings after. Uh, five o'clock in the evening. Uh, there are some exceptions um, uh, because it's it's my time. The other the other thing what what I started was um, for half a year now, for actually more than half a year. I get up usually at five o'clock in the morning. Um, so there is this this one book, the Five AM Club, that inspired me to do this. So where I start with a workout, meditation, creative work. So by six o'clock, I have already spent or invested one hour of time on myself. Mm. That's a pretty cool thing to start a day. Now, not everyone likes to get up at five, but they can only encourage it. It's a pretty cool experiment. Yeah. No, it reminds me of an, another guy we had on the show who won't, he won't take a, me- a meeting before 11 a.m. Um, so he doesn't get up particularly early, but he just makes sure he, has, uh, he keeps that period um, after breakfast just for yes. creative work, right? Um, yeah. I guess not everybody has that ability to manage their schedule in that way, but it's the same idea. We we'll find something different, different approaches. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about joy as an organizing principle, which I which I love. Um, you also mentioned the golden rule. <laughs> yeah, could you can yeah. you explain that and and what, why you've um you know chosen to, to emphasize that? In well, the golden the golden rule treats um the each other and the planet the way you want to be treated. Um, what's a very old very old um, rule for social interaction, actually one of the oldest uh, rules for social interaction and uh, more than several thousand uh, thousands of years uh, old. And it's cross-cultural. I mean, no matter where culture you go, I mean, they all know the gold rule. They have different names for it. And um, Kim Palman, uh, she added this, the, the term uh, treat each other and the planet because it, it's, it, it expands the, the concept of the gold rule uh, to explain it's not about us human beings or people. Actually, we're part of an ecosystem and we have to look after our planet too because we're part of the planet. And what it does is um, it, go, it helps us to, let's say, to move from the me to the we, from the egoistical me to the communal we, okay? It's like, okay, I have to start with, with myself. Um, takes courage uh, to, to apply the, uh, the golden rule, but it always starts with me. And by uh, practicing the golden rule, I in, invite other people uh, into this, I should say, magical room space, and things change for the better. And um, in my book, Kim Palman, she explains how this actually can change business or has changed business, um, where it became a more human environment, or which, uh, which she says, like, it's um, the golden rule is like a catalyst for a human business to evolve. And uh, it's, 
since it's general, it's cross-cultural, it's, it's not esoteric at all. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very, very powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it reminded me of Tom van der Lubbe, who uh, runs an organization in Holland called Visi, and, and he, <laughs> that's it. There is, no, uh, there is no handbook for the company. There are no policies. There's just the golden rule. It's, it's just, just the golden rule. I mean, again, it's like uh, what, what Kim explains, it's very, Kim Palmer explains it very beautifully when she said, again, it's like, it, it's not simple. I mean, well, certainly it is simple when you read it, but there's the three prerequisites, empathy, courage, and drive, which is basically action. Okay, but it takes courage. It takes courage. Um, interestingly, I think kids, uh, when they play, they, they don't talk about it. They just do it. And again, this is something maybe we have unlearned in our um, business environment, which is very sad. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, I guess having kids is... yeah. I'm not sure that, I mean, I just watched my kid, my, like, my, we had a, a, my kids that we had a a female friend came over, like a girl, a similar age. And uh, one of my boys spent the whole time telling her he didn't like her. I don't like you. (laughs) So there is, it's, it's, yeah, there's a socialization that happens with children though, right? So it's not like kids are born like these pure creatures of virtue, right? Well, they're, um, in, in my my in the, the foreword of the book, I um, you know I dedicate the, this the the book to to my uh, my son and my my daughter because they have been probably one of the most important, the best, and most influential teachers I have had uh, for for so many years now. When they are now um, seventeen and nineteen years old, um, and because they they look usually they they, they have kids they can look right into your heart, and they ask me then it's like why do you act this way. You know, why don't you, why don't you just do what you really want to do? It's like, you would like to do this. Like, wh- why didn't you say it? You know, what is so difficult? Just say what you, what you're, what you, what you really think. I mean, you're saying this, but you want to say something different, right? And it's like, they, they, they catch me all the time or they caught me all the time. And um, it's, uh, they actually also encouraged me to, to write the book. Um, or to start writing, uh, working on the book, and to share it. Which um, it's there are some chapters which are very uh, personal, and I, you know, I kind of like tested them, tested the cold water on Facebook when I published some of the blogs, or just post-its, and and see if there was what reaction there were, and the reactions were all positive. And I thought, like, okay, why do you think it's all negative that only that people hate it and stuff? You know, besides. People hate it. Okay, fine. It's it's their problem. You know, I it's like kind of like I want to share something which I'm thinking of, which is like my philosophy, or this is a, this is something I'm working on, and I want to help make our planet a better world. Simple as this. And I want to and and I want to have fun along the way. Enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's not like okay. I have a plan. I have. This is all work. No, I want to play, you know, play along, basically. And this is sometimes it's difficult. Right. Yeah. And I think the fact, I, I, I think you're, this is part of a trend here, right? A paradigm shift. The fact you're bringing personal experience into this business book. And I, I do, I think this is what part of what this podcast is about, but I, I think it's part of, yeah, we can't talk about human businesses. We can't talk about conscious businesses unless we're talking about individuals and their 
journeys, their own evolution uh, as part in the context of human business. Like it, it seems to me the shift is away from conceptual ideas around how business can be run, which is important. You talk to that to some extent in this book and more about individual process of evolution um, for people within these organizations. Uh, that's true. I mean, it's like people say, well, it's a business book. It is a business book to a certain extent, but it's not, let's say, a technical business book. Uh, as I've mentioned, the working title was Being Human mm. in the Digital Age. So it starts with us, you know, uh, and, and it also explains how can we translate, how can we apply it in a business setting, in a live setting or a project setting, what have you. Um, you know, people say, well, what's the target audience of, of the book? It's like, well, you can, it's really anyone who's interested in shaping the future, who is worried about the digitization and, and, and what does it all lead to and think, how can I approach it? And um, I shared the story with this, this couple I met uh, during the World Economic Forum in Davos a couple of years ago when I asked them, what do you think of the digital age? What do you think of digitalization? And they said like, ah, oh, yeah, well, we don't really like it. You know, it's like, we're really concerned the technology takes over our lives and, you know, we didn't really like it too much. And then I asked the question, okay, do you have, how, do you know how you want to live in the future? And they said, like, of course we do. You know, we want to live in, in, in harmony with nature and of course society. And, um, but it's basically, we want to have a human life. We were not resources. We're just like, we love our family and friends. And, and the cool thing they said, like, you know, by the way, with our grandkids, you know, we can even communicate with them. We use Skype and we can still drive a car. We have this, um, this button we, we click and then the car, you know, parks for us. And that's pretty cool. And they, all of a sudden they start talking about the, all these technical gadgets. And they say, let me repeat my first question. What do you think of the digital age, of the digital transformation? It's like, well, now that you ask, ask again, it's like, I think, we have to qualify our first state, initial statement, you know, but it's not about technology. It's about how we want to live. Mm. You know, they got it. And actually the, the older generation, therefore can actually be role models. It's not, they don't understand anything about the digital age. Often they have a better understanding about the digital age than say geeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the because often they're, they're so immersed in the possibilities of the technology, they can lose lose track of what it's all for, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In service of what? In service of what? And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah. I think I think you you're, you're starting to dive into this now. And what I see is I I see this as being part the yeah, a kind of a merger of what we've got. This I know it's got some baggage the term self development, but we do have you know this. This paradigm we're in, right? We're in the age of self, right? Where um, we all seem to have the resources and an increasing appetite to go within, to do the self-work, to to begin self-actualizing, however we want to call it. You know, that's that's a part of society right now, and it's like that's that's over crashing into you know the digital world, the business world, and I think we're going to see more and more. Uh, people demanding to continue their journey, like within the work context, right? And have these two worlds merge. Menno Innovations and other organizations get that and put it in the center of their business, but it's, it's, it's coming. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's a fascinating time. 
I mean, yes, there are lots of crises, and but crises are also opportunities to to change something for the better. You know, yeah. uh, that does not mean that I under you know underplay the, the the crisis we have. No, they have to be dealt with, no doubt. And okay, but it's not if we if you only focus on the negative, this is what you get. You know, there are always two sides of the coins. You know, as I said I, I'm an economist. The always the economist is on the one hand, on the other hand. Um, that's why I guess Truman said, give me a one-handed economist. Life is more complex. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not even there are more than two sides. Um, but uh, it always starts with us, how we want to look at the world and how we want to shape it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're modeling it, right? The fact that you, can, you stay committed to your, your skiing and your tango and you, and you make space for all that in your life, right? Yeah, well, if you don't have time, just create it. Um, I guess when people say, "Oh, I don't have time for my hobby," and I'm, I'm, yeah, there can be times when it's very difficult, especially when you say you have a family with young kids. You know, it's it's can be pretty packed, and yet it's we we just have to find ways and means to create the time. If we just wait for the time to be given, then maybe nobody gives us the time. Uh, but and we have to create the time. Maybe it's just like a few minutes. Okay, fine. Get up five minutes earlier and then see what happens, you know, and just like this is your precious time. And um, it doesn't mean we have to be two or three hours. Do we have all the time I'd like to have for certain things like rock climbing, what have you? No. But it can create the time. It takes discipline, yes, but I get back a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other tip I wanted to share with our listeners, I don't want to lose it, is... Uh, you talk about this, this asking questions, right? And um, even if you don't have time to meditate, there's another way to get an answer to these deep questions. And that's to write them down in a book before you go to sleep. This is, yeah, this is, I don't know where I picked this up. Um, I've been doing this for quite a few years. It's like, okay, you have a question in your mind. Uh, and what I do is like, I write it down in, in a book or in a notebook. Uh, and then uh, just go to bed. And the first thing I do in the morning, I pick up my, my, my pen and I start writing. And kind of like a journaling, but I actually answer the question, whatever comes to my mind. And uh, it's pretty amazing what comes up. Because it, this is like when you are in contact with your, you can say, subconscious, with your real being. Okay? There are not so many thoughts, you know, from the day in, day, day out work. And uh, it's kind of like a clean mind you can say clear mind and you can think clearly and then you just write down the answers and it's an, an off very often i get like with the some answers intuitive answers which are can be quite surprising and then of course you need to have the guts to follow through right. and find out yeah. what it is it's kind of like okay should I do do this or that um intuitively in most in most cases we have the answer right away but then, you know, it's these little thoughts coming. Now, what if maybe the other thing is much better? Well, I know Thomas, like, you like the red much better than the black because last time you had the black, you didn't really like it. It's like, oh, no, maybe the blue. Um, in most cases, if you try to make a choice, often the first intuitive thought that comes to you is probably the best for you. Okay. And the more you are in sync with your intuition, the easier it becomes. But with this little exercises, uh, the basically finding the answers to your questions in your dream at night. Um, now that's very simple, and it's I should say it works. Yeah, 
It, it worked, but I, I totally relate to sometimes you get the answer, but do you have the coach to, to follow the quiet voice, right? It's, uh, that's part yes. of the work, isn't it? It's uh, yes. <laughs> acting on the answer. Yeah, that's where the courage comes in. Yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, is there anything we've not touched on? Oh, oh, we must talk about this human design spaces. Let's talk about the human spaces. So that's the important yeah, the chapter, human spaces. right? Well, I was wondering, it's like, um, what's the special set human business? And in, in, in the human business, there is the have, uh, say, human and creative spaces for the individual as well as the team. And this is really one of the distinguishing features, you can say, of a human business. Um, what's the space? It's basically, on an individual level, it's kind of like you're in a flow. You're totally in the present, in the here and now. And it opens new... Um, yeah, new spaces of creativity. Um, Otto Sharma um, from MIT talks about uh, presencing. Um, you know, and athletes talk about a flow, flow state. Um, and uh, it's like where time seems to stand still and everything's possible or things pop up. And you can start, and on the original level, you just like, it's basically calm down listen to your becoming aware of your breathing and trying to be here in the now, even if it's only for a few moments on, on the level, when you talk with, with another person, it's like a cultivating dialogues. It's not like uh, you, you talk and I listen. It's active. It's empathic. It's generic um, generative uh, listening. Uh, so you don't react right away. You let things settle and see what happens. You know, it's a, it's, True, it's a true listening, okay? Generative listening, uh, Otto Sharma calls it. And that's a true dialogue. And then on the, uh, say, team level or company, as say, team or company level, it's like, again, this overlap of these three MVPs I talked earlier about the purpose, the vision, the practice. You know, can I be part of something bigger? And where do I come in? What do I contribute to it? And you have to create these spaces which are not planned. You can say, Open the space and see what happens. And then you still step in the space and co-create with your, with your peers and um, be open for what wants to uh, emerge. And it's kind of like people say, yeah, we have an innovation manager. We plan innovation. No, innovation cannot really be planned. It emerges uh, a true innovation, unless you do just process innovation, which is an improvement, but just not really innovation. The space, this human space, design space is, um, you can say it's magical. It's, um, you, you allow, you create an environment where you give people the chance to be whole, be, to be in the here and now. And it's, um, True brainstorming could be like this um, with certain rules where you say, okay, we can say anything, but the word but is not allowed. Okay? Anything. Just like no buts. Okay? And it's simple, but all of a sudden, when you do this brainstorming for 20 minutes or so, or sometimes for 10 minutes, and then there can be pause. Or let, don't be afraid of this pause and see what happens. Sometimes it could, a second uh, appears to be like one or two minutes or even longer. But just like pause and see what wants to show up, what wants to emerge. 
does it always happen? No, but still quite often it does. And it can be pretty, you cannot, it's very difficult to describe in words, but when, when new ideas come up, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's very yeah. refreshing. Yes. Yeah. Energizing. And, and, refreshing. And, and, yes. Energizing. Yeah. And it's, um, and, and, you know, give some examples, how to do this, some of the practices I've been using, um, to create these spaces and there are numerous other ways to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And at the base of it all for me is, is this connection, right? It's this giving, giving space for us to connect with each other. And people are afraid of it for whatever reason. Um, because often, especially, uh, guys, you know, we are afraid of showing, exposing our own vulnerability. Uh, the amazing thing is like, if we show our vulnerability, we actually find out it's actually, it's a strength. Um, it's Chris, part of our manliness, as you say. It, it, Boys don't yeah. cry, men do. Exactly. And it's like, uh, I had like, when I started uh, at Outside Alliance, the first week, they said like, how are you feeling? How, you know, probably there's a lot, a lot of things going on. So yeah, truly, honestly, I'm totally overwhelmed. I have no idea where to start. You know, um, I'm, I'm shocked. It's kind of like a puzzle in all new white pieces. And uh, I, I still have to find the corners, but I'm right now I'm overwhelmed. And it looked at me and like, well, well, we didn't expect this, that you would say this, since you have so much experience, you know, but uh, that's, that's cool. But how can we help you? You know, and it started a different dialogue. Uh, do I have to know all the answers to the questions I'm, I'm being asked? No. You see, when politicians say at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, um, some of politicians, they said, like, you know what? We have no idea what to do next because this has never happened before. You know, yeah. we just don't know the answer. When we try things, and hopefully it works. Maybe it doesn't, then we let you know. That was authentic, truly authentic. The longer the pandemic lasted, the more they fell back into the old behavioral patterns of lying and, and cheating and excuses and what have you. And it's like, it's, it's, it's sad. It's like, that's why... They lost not only their authenticity, but the credibility. And it's, it's a crisis of the system. Yeah. Well, we talked about that before we came on the show. To me, it's exposed uh, the darker side of these political systems we exist within. Yep. Yeah, that's another podcast, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I was just, before I dived into human spaces, I was going to ask, is there anything, you know, any, anything within the book that we've not touched on that you, you'd want to share before we close out here? Well, there, there, there are quite a few chapters. I'm going to talk about dancing, how life is a dance, and what I learned from tango. And um, quite a, there are also uh, interviews. I, I mentioned Steve Denning, Kim Palman. There is an interview with a dear of mine. He is a happiness teacher. Um, I am interviewing uh, Malte Clavin, um, adventure photographer. Um, yeah. so <laughs> I still got the image of the tarantula on his head. I can't get yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, right. he You've got some wonderful pictures in the book, actually. Yeah. And um, well, as I've meant, well, I haven't mentioned, but the, the the book was first published in Germany in German uh, by Haufe, and I have uh, translated the book. I submitted to a publisher now in the US, but I'm still looking for actually a publisher. It has not been published in the English world. So those of you uh, who are listening and who actually might be interested in, in reading the English manuscript and possibly know 
a good publisher, contact me and uh, I'm happy to share this. And otherwise, uh, there is also on my website, you can find the summary of the key points of each chapter. You can download, download this for free. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and I love the, the chapter on dance. Actually, we haven't got into it, but yeah, that, that maybe we could save that for people who uh, who get the book. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks once again for your time. Um, yeah, wonderful conversation. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate onwards it. Onwards to human it businesses. Great. I enjoyed it. Again. Uh, onwards to human businesses. Um, yeah, it's it's our future. We we just got to create it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. We'll put the links to the. Uh, yeah, to, 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 to the website and everything yeah. uh, and, uh, and, uh, and where people can contact you if they do know a good publisher because we, we must get it out there. Good. All right. Thanks again. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.